Section 3 of Children's Edition of Touching Incidents and Remarkable Answers to Prayer by S. B. Shaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tim Cote. The Stowaway. On board an English steamer, a little ragged boy, aged nine years, was discovered on the fourth day of the voyage out from Liverpool to New York, and carried before the first mate, whose duty it was to deal with such cases. When questioned as to his object in being stowed away, and who had brought him on board, the boy, who had a beautiful sunny face that looked like the very mirror of truth, replied that his stepfather did it because he could not afford to keep him nor pay his passage to Halifax, where he had an aunt who was well off and to whose house he was going. The mate did not believe his story, in spite of the winning face and truthful accents of the boy. He had seen too much of stowaways to be easily deceived by them, he said, and it was his firm conviction that the boy had been brought on board and provided with food by the sailors. The little fellow was very roughly handled in consequence. Day by day he was questioned and re-questioned, but always with the same result. He did not know a sailor on board, and his father alone had secreted and given him the food which he ate. At last the mate, wearied by the boy's persistence in the same story, and perhaps a little anxious to inculpate the sailors, seized him one day by the collar, and dragging him to the fore, told him that unless he told the truth, in ten minutes from that time he would hang from the yard-arm. He then made him sit under it on the deck. All around him were the passengers and sailors of the midway watch, and in front of him stood the inexorable mate, with chronometer in his hand, and the other officers of the ship by his side. It was a touching sight to see the pale, proud, scornful face of that noble boy. His head erect, his beautiful eyes bright through the tears that suffused them. When eight minutes had fled, the mate told him that he had but two minutes to live, and advised him to speak the truth and save his life. But he replied with the utmost simplicity and sincerity by asking the mate if he might pray. The mate said nothing, but nodded his head, and turned as pale as a ghost and shook with trembling like a reed in the wind. And then all eyes turned on him, the brave and noble fellow, this poor boy whom society owned not, and whose own stepfather could not care for, knelt with clasped hands and eyes upturned to heaven. There then occurred a scene as of Pentecost. Sobs broke from strong, hard hearts as the mate sprang forward and clasped the boy to his bosom and kissed him and blessed him and told him how sincerely he now believed his story and how glad he was that he had been brave enough to face death and be willing to sacrifice his life for the truth of his word. Illustrated Weekly Telegraph The Golden Rule Exemplified Early one morning, while it was yet dark, a poor man came to my door and informed me that he had an infant child very sick, which he was afraid would die. He desired me to go to his home and, if possible, help them. For, said he, I want to save its life if possible. As he spoke thus, his tears ran down his face. He then added, I am a poor man, but, sir, I will pay you in work as much as you ask if you will go. I said, 
Yes, I will go with you as soon as I take a little refreshment. Oh, sir, said he, I was going to try to get a bushel of corn and get it ground to carry home, and I am afraid the child will die before I get there. I wish you would not wait for me. And then he added, We want to save the child's life if we can. It being some miles to his house, I didn't arrive there until the sun was two hours high in the morning, when I found the mother holding her sick child and six or seven little boys and girls around her with clean hands and faces, looking as their mother did, lean and poor. On examining the sick child, I discovered that it was starving to death. I said to the mother, You don't give milk enough for this child. She said, I suppose I don't. Well, said I, you must feed it with milk. She answered, I would, sir, but I can't get any to feed it with. I then said, It will be well, then, for you to make a little water gruel and feed your child. To this she replied, I was thinking I would, if my husband brings home some Indian meal. He has gone to try to get some, and I am in hopes he will make out. She said this with a sad countenance. I asked her with surprise, Why, madam, have you not got anything to eat? She strove to suppress a tear, and answered sorrowfully, No, sir, we have had but little these some days. I said, What are your neighbors, that you should suffer among them? She said, I suppose they are good people, but we are strangers in this place, and I don't wish to trouble any of them if we can get along without. Wishing to give the child a little manna, I asked for a spoon. The little girl went to the table drawer to get one, and her mother said to her, Get the longest-handled spoon. As she opened the drawer, I saw only two spoons, and both with handles broken off, but one handle was a little longer than the other. I thought to myself, This is a very poor family, but I will do the best I can to relieve them. While I was preparing the food for the sick child, I heard the oldest boy, who was about fourteen, say, You shall have the biggest piece now, because I had the biggest piece before. I turned around to see who it was that manifested such a principle of justice, and I saw four or five children sitting in the corner where the oldest was dividing a roasted potato among them. And he said to one, You shall have the biggest piece now, etc. But the other said, Why, brother, you are the oldest, and you ought to have the biggest piece. No, said the other, I had the biggest piece. I turned to the mother and said, Madam, you have potatoes to eat, I suppose? She replied, We have had, but this is the last one we have left, and the children have now roasted that for their breakfast. On hearing this, I hastened home and informed my wife that food was needed for the sick family. I then prescribed a gallon of milk, two loaves of bread, some butter, meat and potatoes, and sent my boy with these, and had the pleasure to hear in a few days that they were all well. Selected Only One Vote A local option contest was going on in W, and Mrs. Kent was trying to influence her husband to vote no license. Willie Kent six years old, was, of course, on his mama's side. The night before election, Mr. Kent went to see Willie safe in bed, and hushing his prattle, he said, Now, Willie, say your prayers. Papa, 
I want to say my own words tonight, he replied. All right, my boy. That is the best kind of praying, answered the father. Fair was the picture as Willie, robed in white, knelt at his father's knee and prayed reverently. Oh, dear Jesus, do help Papa to vote no whiskey tomorrow. Amen. Morning came. The village was alive with excitement. Women's hands, made hard by toil, were stretched to God for help in the decision. The day grew late, and yet Mr. Kent had not been to the polls. Willie's prayer sounded in his ears, and troubled conscience said, Answer your boy's petition with your ballot. At last he stood at the polling place with two tickets in his hand. One, license. The other, no license. Sophistry, policy, avarice said, Vote license. Conscience echoed, No license. After a moment's hesitation, he threw from him the no license ticket and put the license in the box. The next day it was found that the contest was so close that it needed but one vote to carry the town for prohibition. In the afternoon, Willie found a no license ticket, and having heard only one vote was necessary, he started out to find the man who would cast this one ballot against wrong, and in his eagerness he flew along the streets. The saloon men were having a jubilee, and the highways were filled with drunken rowdies. Little Willie rushed on through the unsafe crowd. Hark! A random pistol shot from a drunken quarrel, a pierced heart, and sweet Willie Kent had his death wound. They carried him home to his mother. His father was summoned, and the first swift thought that came to him as he stood over the lifeless boy was, Willie will never pray again that I vote no whiskey. With a strange, still grief, he took in his own the quiet little hand chilling into marble coldness, and there between the fingers firmly grasped was the no-license ballot with which the brave little soul thought to change the verdict of yesterday. Mr. Kent started back in shame and sorrow. That vote in his hand might have answered the prayer so lately on his lips, now dumb, and perhaps averted the awful calamity. Fathers, may not the hands of the thousands slain make mute appeal to you? Your one vote is what God requires of you. You are responsible for it being in harmony with his law, as if on it hung the great decision. The Issue How a Little Girl Utilized the Telephone A mother, living not far from the post office in this city, tired with watching over a sick baby, came downstairs for a moment the other day for a few seconds rest. She heard the voice of her little four-year-old girl in the hall by herself, and, curious to know whom she was talking, stopped for a moment at the half-open door. She saw that the little thing had pulled a chair in front of the telephone and stood upon it with the piece against the side of her head. The earnestness of the child showed that she was in no playing mood, and this was the conversation the mother heard while the tears stood thick in her eyes the little one carrying on both sides as if she were repeating the answers. Hello? Well, who's there? Is God there? Yes. Is Jesus there? Yes. Tell Jesus I want to speak to him. Well? Is that you, Jesus? Yes. What is it? Our baby is sick, 
and we want you to let it get well. Won't you now? No answer, and statement and question again repeated, and finally answered by a yes. The little one put the earpiece back on its hook, clambered down from the chair, and with a radiant face went for her mother who caught her in her arms. The baby whose life had been despaired of began to mend that day and got well. Elmira Free Press Jesus Answers Ruth's Prayer I went to sit up all night with a very sick neighbor. I took Ruth, my little five-year-old girl, along. When I started to leave the next morning, the folks told me to leave Ruth there, and they would send her home when she awakened. Being very busy, they forgot about the child for some time, and she got up and started home by herself. She started up the fence which she thought led home, but she took the wrong fence and it led out into a large pasture where there were deep canyons, bad cattle, wolves, and other dangers. The neighbors missed Ruth and sent their son to find out if Ruth had got home all right. Her parents became alarmed when they were told that she had left two hours before. Her father started out to find his precious child, asking God to direct him to her. After going some distance, he heard someone talking. He stopped and listened. His heart was so glad, for he knew it was his child. She was kneeling by a post, praying. And this is what he heard her say. Oh, sweet Jesus, please send my papa to find me. I'm not afraid. I know that you wouldn't let nothing hurt your little girl. But if my papa didn't find me, my mama would cry herself to death, and my papa would almost cry himself to death. So please, sweet Jesus, send my papa to find me. Here I am, Ruth, Papa said as he walked toward her. Oh, Papa, I knew Jesus would send you to find me, Ruth said as she quickly jumped up and ran to her father, throwing her arms around him. Mother was very happy when she saw father coming with their child and thanked God for caring for her. Essie Wilson Very Sick Mother, Mrs. Oates is very sick, Ruth said as she came in the door looking very sad. Mama, she is sick. She's awful sick. I'm sorry for her. What shall we do for her? Let's go into the other room and pray and ask Jesus what he wants me to do. So Mother and her little girl went into the other room and knelt down. Ruth began to pray and ask Jesus what she should do for Mrs. Oates. And all of a sudden she jumped up and said, Jesus told me what to do. He told me to go over and lay my hands on her and pray for her and he would heal her. And without an answer, Ruth, who was just six years old, ran out the door and didn't stop running till she was at Mrs. Oates' bedside. Turn over here, Mrs. Oates, Ruth said as she laid her hand on Mrs. Oates' shoulder. I came over here to pray for you and Jesus is going to heal you. Mrs. Oates replied, well, pray for me, you blessed little angel. If the Lord would hear anyone's prayers, he would hear yours. Ruth laid her hands on her and prayed for her, and the Lord instantly healed her. She got up and dressed and came over and told Ruth's mother what Ruth had done. S.E. Wilson End of Section 3 Recording by Tim Cote of Santa Maria, California August 28th 2013.